Good morning, Hickson Presbyterian Church. Uh, if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. We're continuing our look in this book, discussing faith and its implications in the lives of believers. Again, our text is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. This is the Word of God. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning acknowledging that we need You. We need to hear from You this morning. Would You clear our hearts, clear our minds? Would You speak to us this morning about the love and grace You offer us through Your Son, Jesus Christ? It's in His name we pray. Amen. Now, Brooke and I have been married for 15 years, and she has two brothers, and so I, every time they give me clothes, I'm wearing Brooke's brothers. So, you know, it's, I'm fancy. Uh, but one of her oldest brother, um, we were newly married, invited us to his house for the weekend, and they called me. Moosels. They are like, can you bring Moosels with you, Brooke? And I'm like, Moosels? Is this my new nickname in the family? I mean, I know I'm not the strongest guy, but I can get behind this nickname, all right? And so they kept calling me Moosels all weekend. But when they had invited us, they'd asked us if we'd help with all the projects around the house that they had. I know we worked on their deck. We did different various things. And uh, I helped. I gladly helped because I wanted to lend my strength, my muscles my moosels, to the project uh, to help be a servant. It's great. Um, it wasn't until a few years ago as I realized they never called me moosels one more time ever. They were just playing me. Uh, but I was glad to lend my strength to that. Um, and well done by them. But in our passage, God is lending His strength way more than mine Lending His strength, His immense, infinite strength to His people. You see, the people of Hebrews are going through an ongoing persecution for their faith. And God is giving them strength, showing them where to get strength. In verse 12, it's there, strengthen what is weak. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But what kind of strength is available? 
In verse 15, we see that it's the grace of God that they need. In verse 7, God refers to them as sons and daughters, His children. That He has brought them into His family and He is their Father. In verse 24 of our chapter, it is the blood of Christ which brings us in to a new covenant. In chapter 1, verse 3, it's Christ has made purification for sins. In chapter 2, verse 3, it's so great a salvation. And I could go on. But the context of this book shows that the strength available is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, His Son, of God's Son. That is, theologically, we are united to Christ. We have union with Christ. We are in Him. And because of that, we have the strength we need. Our strength doesn't come from trying harder, working longer, but rather a deeper, better, more heartfelt understanding of what Christ has accomplished for us. That is the strength that God gives. You see, the original audience was under pressure from the outside. They were experiencing persecution for their faith. They were tempted to leave the faith because of their circumstances. They were thinking that this Christian life is hard. But we too can feel weak because of our circumstances. That it is hard. There's some of the Sometimes in the Christian life we think we can't do it. It's too hard. Or maybe even we think, I don't want to do it. But our text reminds us that when we feel weak, we look not to our circumstances, but to God who gives us strength for our journey no matter what we are facing. And it's because God gives us strength This is the only way we can strengthen our run. We must strengthen our run. Look at verse 12. You have this uh, interesting juxtaposition of two things. You have drooping hands and weak knees, and you're told to strengthen them. To lift. And in the Greek, it's one word uh, governs the whole thing. It's to strengthen your hands and knees. Um, but it, the idea of lift is there to strengthen, to, to convey that. And this is a quote from Isaiah 35.3, which is a beautiful passage in Isaiah saying, God is in, in a time of Israel's weakness, God is going to strengthen their weak knees. He's going to lift their drooping hands. And in the end of that passage, a few verses later, it ends with, and God will save you. God will save you. And you see this weak knees and drooping hands. And in the context of Hebrews 12, which begins with running the race with endurance, what we see here is the image of a fatigued runner. Someone who, instead of running like this, is sort of can't really make it 
much further. But, though they might have weak knees and drooping hands, they're called to strengthen these weak areas. And in verse 13, we have a parallel statement with a similar juxtaposition. You have joints that, are, that could be put out of order. But they're told to make their paths straight so that they, they might be healed. This is another image of a runner Instead of finding the winding road, make it straight. Make it a straight, clear path and run on it. Strengthen and make straight are commands in this text. And they're parallel. It's the parallel solution to weak knees, drooping hands, dislocated joints. We can be healed and strengthened from those things. Now, it's interesting in this passage, and I, it's one of the things I love about it, is that it does not shy away from acknowledging the weaknesses of the original hearers. Of their real life circumstances. It's not afraid to talk about it. To mention it. To deal with it. Because these audi- the audience did have weaknesses. And I find that tremendous, helpful, good news. For me, anyways. I don't know about you. You might be doing great. But for me, it's good news. Because when I feel weak, I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to run from God, but rather find my strength in Him. I have my own weaknesses. And the last, uh, last fall, I played softball with some of the people here. And this spring, I'm playing volleyball. And I'm hoping that uh, the Pro Bowls, the NFL Pro Bowls today. I'm not going to make the Pro Bowl, by the way. But I think, based on my performance, I'm going to make the all-ibuprofen team. <laughs> because I play... And then everything hurts. Everything gets weak and, and it's just not fun uh, the next morning. One day I played two volleyball games at night and you know you're jumping a lot. And the next morning my knees hurt so bad. I remember getting up out of my chair and just being like, oh, and my, I have to like ratchet my back up so I can't, I can't stand straight up just right away. Uh, and when, I, when that's there, what do I do? I seek to strengthen my joints. I seek to strengthen them and I take a lot of ibuprofen, Tylenol, whatever. But the same is true. When we find weaknesses in our Christian life, do we hide them? Do we run from them? Or do we seek to strengthen those areas? Our passage tells us we should strengthen them. And this strengthening is a whole life process. And by whole life, I mean not simply, well, I mean two things. One, it's for every area of your life. Nothing is excluded. Every area of your life where there's a weakness, you should seek to strengthen. And for your entire life. It's an ongoing journey that never ends until we reach glory. And then we will know 
pure strengths and no weaknesses. But the question remains, how? How do we find strength? How do we strengthen our weaknesses? And I'll tell you, it's the Gospel. Believing the Gospel is how God gives us strength. This weekend, I learned a way to phrase this. It's called the, they call it the Gospel Waltz, which the waltz is a dance. So it's the Gospel Dance. And you begin the dance with repentance. You begin the, the dance by repenting of your sin, of where you find you have gone astray. You, and you, you don't just say, Lord, I'm sorry for this, but you, you go deeper. And you find, why did I sin? What unbelief do I have that, that would encourage me to sin in this way? What pride do I have? What selfishness? do I have that has caused me to repent, I mean, to, to sin in this way. And you repent. But you don't stop there. The dance goes on. You, you acknowledge your sin, but then you believe. You believe in Jesus and what He has done. You trust in Him. You believe Jesus that you are truly forgiven. Not because of you, but because of Him. You believe, Jesus, that you are truly righteous. Considered righteous in the eyes of God. Again, not because of you, but because of your union with Christ. And you believe, God, that you are loved. That you are loved immensely and immeasurably by God. And then the dance continues in that you endeavor to obey, to seek to walk in His ways again. And then when you break that cycle, you go back and you begin again. And this process may take, it may take you 30 seconds, 10 seconds to walk through it. But every time we find a weakness, we strengthen it, not by ourselves, but in Christ. And what's interesting about this process this gospel-believing process that we do our whole lives, not just to believe to get into the kingdom, but as we live throughout our Christian lives, we continually come back to the gospel. You see, the gospel is not the beginning of the Christian life, but it's the whole sum of the Christian life. Tim Keller says the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. But of this gospel belief, this gospel dance that we do, Every step acknowledges your own weakness. Acknowledges that you need Jesus. You repent saying, I have failed. You believe, not again in yourself, but in Jesus saying, I don't have it, but you do, Jesus. And then you obey saying, Jesus, I don't know the way, but show me the way to go. Help me walk in this way. Every step acknowledges weaknesses, which then means, because we acknowledge our weaknesses, we get strength. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, that is Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, that is Christ's power, is made perfect in what? What is Christ's power made perfect in for Paul? 
Is it his obedience? Is it his teaching? Is it his doctrine? It's in his weakness. Christ says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul then says, therefore I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The way to strength in the Christian life is through weakness. It's through weakness. But, but when we acknowledge our weaknesses, we get the strength of Christ for every day, for everything. And so this morning, this week, right now, where do you need strengthening? What area of your life where are you weak? Where can you dance this gospel dance? Wherever that is, be encouraged. For God gives strength through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, you've been strengthened in your run, your Christian run. Now, we've been strengthened by God. Now we must strive for holiness. Strive for for holiness. Look at verse 14 where it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Striving here is the command. It's the imperative. It's a, striving is a strong, earnest pursuit for something. It's a running after it. It's not a, ah, I'll try. Maybe if I have time, I'll do it. I'll give it a shot. It's not that. It's, a, it's an earnest striving and running and seeking. It's a real strong pursuit. Running it down. And here, this striving is twofold. There's two parts to it. We strive for peace with everyone. And we strive for holiness. We strive for peace and holiness. Now why peace and holiness? Why peace and holiness? I think this is the, in the theme of the two great commandments. And those are, love God, love neighbor. To love your neighbor within to be seek peace with them. As one way to talk about it. And then to obey God, one way to talk about that would be holiness. Now, striving for holiness, it says this, without which, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, some of you may hear, well, that means I must be holy, and then God will love me and give me salvation. Now, hopefully what I've said previously in this, this sermon, you would not believe that. But that's not the case. And I think Ephesians 2, 8, through 10 will help us. And there it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. That is not a result of your own efforts, your own doings, so that no one may boast. So we are saved by grace. Not a result of works. We see that, right? 
the very next verse is this. For we are, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. We could say, another way to phrase that would be, for holiness. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now how can we strive? How can we earnestly run after peace with others and holiness? Paul says in Romans 12.18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. This means peace in regards to the words we use, the tone we use, the actions we take. And when conflict arises, it means that we either repent for what we have done wrong, how we have wronged others. Or we offer forgiveness for how they have wronged us. And if, if um, my experiences in life, usually both of those are going to happen. Because both people are at fault. Um, so, yes. But when you can repent, repent. And when you need to offer forgiveness, offer forgiveness. Are we sympathetic listeners? Or do we listen to answer or attack? Or do we listen to understand what people are actually saying? How do we interact online? Are our words and actions, are they striving for war or peace? Ask the Lord to show you where you can make peace with others. There's a a Chinese man. Let's call him... I'm just going to give him an American name. Joe. We're going to call him Joe. Joe uh, is a Christian. He's come to faith in Christ in China. And he has a rice field. And in his, every day he pumps water up to his rice field to flood it to, so that he can grow rice. One day, as he's pumping his water up, he notices water is not coming anymore. That's because his neighbor, let's call him Fred, has diverted the water into his rice field. Joe, being a Christian, wants to figure out how to handle this properly. And he talks to some of his fellow Christians, and they, they discuss how they can live at peace with their neighbors, love them well. And so Joe says, okay, we've got a plan. He goes and does it. So the next day, he wakes up, he pumps the water, and his neighbor's field, Fred's field, gets flooded. He goes down, closes the diversion, and then pumps water back into his field so that he too can have water in his field. And so he began doing that. Why? To live at peace with his neighbor. To make peace. He was striving for peace. But we must also strive for holiness. To obey God's commandments. To believe Christian doctrine. God calls us to holiness. In Leviticus, God says this, Be holy, for I am holy. Striving after holiness is really pursuing it. Thinking of ways that you can be holy. 
Avoiding temptation. Learning how to obey God. One of my favorite authors, Jerry Bridges, in Transforming Grace, talks about how he strived for holiness. He, had, he struggled with lust. And so when his family would go to the beach, he knew he would be tempted to lust. And he didn't want that. So he didn't want to stop them from going to the beach. Nothing wrong with going to the beach. So he would sit in his car while his family enjoyed the beach. He was as close to them as he could get. And that was his way of trying to avoid temptation. And I'm not trying to suggest, and in the book he clearly says this, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. And not everybody has the struggles I have. But this is how I felt I should do it. But the point is, is he was willing to sacrifice something in order to pursue holiness the way he knew how. And so that's my question. What are ways in which we can pursue holiness? Not to be legalistic, not to earn God's favor, but to say, Lord, if, if this is a temptation, I'm going to try to remove it. And so let us pray that God will show us how to strive for peace and holiness. And so now we're running strong and we're striving for peace and holiness because we're doing those things, we must also look out for the weak. That is, look out for the weak. Look at verses 15 through 17. See to it that, one, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, two, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, and three, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. See to it that no one does these things. This is really the no man left behind policy. As the runner has picked up speed in our passage, they're not to run ahead of everyone else. They're to look behind and say, are you okay? How can I help you come along on the race with me? And the first thing that they're to, to see to it, to look after, see to it, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Here is the encouragement to ensure the gospel is preached and people believe. That as they might stumble into apostasy, as is the threat here in Hebrews, that you're, you're stopping, you're going back, and you're encouraging them. That none fall behind or out of the race. The second thing is, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Now what is this root of bitterness? Well, this is really a quote from Deuteronomy 29.18 where Moses, God through Moses, warns the people to, to get rid of the root of bitterness. And what this root of bitterness was, was a person who was... Uh, Pursuing idolatry. And by doing so, was causing others to follow in idolatry. It really is a turning away from God and towards idols. And so this root of bitterness, that is, let no one chase idols, but instead, let them find the grace of God. It is a real temptation to the recipients of this letter. 
And then see to it, look after the weak who are, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Now there's debate about what is this sexual immorality. On the one hand, it's pretty obvious. Um, you know, sex is designed between a husband and a wife. And that's it. That's how it's to be used. Outside of that, it becomes immoral. That's clear. But, the, the way language is used, the word for sexual immorality, as well as the word for adultery, is also used of spiritual adultery and spiritual immorality. That is, running away from God. Think about the book of Hosea, which is about God telling a man to marry a prostitute who then does what? Commits adultery. And God is saying this whole thing is a picture of Israel. Israel's like this prostitute committing adultery. So is this literal language or figurative language? It's hard to tell. Um, I lean towards figurative language as a spiritual idolatry given the other t- context of this passage. It's apostasy is the issue. However, however you read it, it's, it's calling the people of the book of Hebrews whom who this is written to to look out for others who are tempted in some way, whether it be sexual immorality and holiness, or, again, apostasy, leaving, becoming adulterous, spiritual adultery. The, this audience needs to be encouraged in this because they have people who are weak and struggling on their Christian race. And they're questioning their faith. And what the author is saying here, those who are further along in your race, in your Christian run, you are called to look back, to look around, and see who needs help. They were to look out for the weak. They are to look out for people like Esau. Esau is a great counterexample, really, of the, the um, hall of faith, the great cloud of witnesses of chapter 11. People like this. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Or Moses, in verse 25 of chap- chapter 11, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Whereas Esau, what did he do? For you know, uh, Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For a fleeting pleasure. He sold the birthright as the firstborn son from his father. And then later, when he goes back and he learns that Jacob actually gets the blessing from his father, he says, Father, give it to me. Isn't there some blessing you can give me? He's like, I've given the blessing. I cannot, I will not undo it. And he cried out to his father with tears, asking for this blessing, and he could not. 
And it says he found no chance to repent. Now this is not saying God didn't give him an opportunity to repent. The text is really highlighting the fact that he doesn't care about repentance, about acknowledging that what he had done was sinful. But rather, he was sorry for what? That he got caught. That he, had to, that he suffered consequences. He's lamenting and repenting of the consequences. Not the fact that he had done wrong. So Esau is the opposite of the hall of faith. And this is what he says in Genesis 25 when Jacob offers to sell him for a single meal his birthright. He says this, I am about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Now, the, 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 I cannot stress this enough, but the people of Hebrews are struggling. And I can imagine them saying, we're about to die. We're about to lose our property. We're being persecuted. What use is Christ to me if this is going to be the result of it? And the author of Hebrews is okay with the question, but he has an answer. And the answer is, in every way it's useful. Because Christ offers us what? An eternal reward worth far more than anything this world can offer. And when we get weak, we often forget that strength, that hope that we have that this world is not all there is. So God calls His people to be on the lookout for these kinds of people who are considering these questions and serve in strengthening them. Who do you know that is weak and needs to be looked out for? Will you pray that God would bring you one person this week that you can serve and bring along in the Christian race? Just one. Just pray for one. And you can invite them to church, you can invite them to lunch, coffee, or even just pray for them. But how can the Lord use you in their life? We are called to look out for the weak. And that's why we do small groups here. That's one of the reasons. Because as we run this Christian race, we need to stop and look for those who are weak. But we also, when we get weak knees, we hope that our brothers and sisters would stop to offer us encouragement and strength. And the best way to do that is when we, we come together and we share life together. We run our race alongside others. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So I would encourage you, if it's not a small group here, some way to get people into your life and to get into the life of others here at this church so that you can run this race together and look out for the weak. And when you become weak, someone will be looking out for you. And I learned of a grandfather this week 
And he has a grandson who's about seven, and he has cystic fibrosis. And the grandfather, it's his son and daughter-in-law. Uh, I mean, they love their grandson. And they, they're, they're going to have another girl. I, the, the girl's already born. So the grandfather was with the grandson one day. And they're, they're playing, and the grandson is laying on his chest. And this is the time when they get the news about the daughter. They had the daughter tested to see if the daughter had cystic fibrosis. Because apparently there's a high risk of that. The, and they got the news that she does not have cystic fibrosis. And everyone is rejoicing. And at this time, the grandson is laying on his grandfather's chest. And he looks up at his grandfather and he says, Grandpa, will everyone still love me even if I have cystic fibrosis? And the answer is, of course. Of course. You see, we've all got weaknesses. And God knows every one of them. And the question is, does He still love you? And the answer is yes. And He offers you strength for the run, to strive after what He Himself does. And He calls us to look out for those also who are struggling on the way. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You love us. Even though You know everything about us, You still love us. Give us that strength of Your love to run the Christian life that You have laid out before us. And Lord, let us not deny or hide our weaknesses, but rather let us acknowledge them and receive Your strength. For it's in Your Son's mighty and wonderful name we pray. Amen.